welcome to Positively West Virginia, where each week we share positive stories about successful West Virginia businesses making a difference in our great state. Positively West Virginia is brought to you by the State Journal, WV News, and Interaction Media. Now, let's get down to business with your host, Jim Matuga. Coming to you live from the Interaction Media studio in Morgantown, welcome to Positively West Virginia. I'm your host, Jim Matuga. Today, we're going to visit with Dean Six. He's the general manager and vice president of Blanco Glass Company in Milton, West Virginia, right on the edge of Cabell County. But first, a little bit about our mission here at Positively West Virginia. Every week, we talk with West Virginia business leaders and share their success stories with people just like you in West Virginia and across the country. When we first started this podcast project back in 2017, one of the things we set out to do was to encourage and inspire our listeners with positive business stories from right here in the Mountain State. Today, we've produced more than 200 episodes, and Positively West Virginia is now a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can learn more about our mission of promoting small business and entrepreneurship in West Virginia at PositivelyWV.com. You know, I get to see so many positive things happening in West Virginia business every day that a lot of people, quite frankly, never get to hear about. So our team at Interaction Media and Positively West Virginia are working to change that with this show so that people realize you don't have to leave West Virginia to find great business opportunities. They're right here in our state. We want to encourage people to stay here and build great companies and organizations right here in West Virginia. All of our guests are people who are actually getting that done day in and day out. I'm convinced we can all learn from their experiences and most importantly, their stories. Once again, our uh, guest today is Dean Six. Dean is the vice president and general manager of Blanco Glass Company in Milton, West Virginia. Dean, thank you so much for being on the show today. My pleasure. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to have you on the podcast to share your story this week. And I just, uh, just to get to, to know a little bit more about Blanco, of course, Blanco is an iconic West Virginia family-owned business of artisan glassmakers. For more than 100 years, they've produced vibrant decorative hand-blown glass using traditional methods. Dean Six graduated from WVU several times and has written numerous books, articles, and scholarly monographs. Published material and recognized work include WVU Published Guide to Art and Completed Architecture on WVU campuses. Dean is an avid longtime glass collector, lecturer, and consultant. He also owns and manages America's oldest five-and-time store, and hopefully we could touch on that, as well as serving as VP and general manager over Blanco Glass Company. We invited Dean on the show today to talk about Blanco, to share his story, and to give our audience some valuable insight into the company he leads in West Virginia. Dean, take a minute, fill in some gaps from that very brief intro that I gave, and give us a little behind-the-curtain look into Blanco. Um, gladly. We're in our 128th year wow. of producing glass. Uh, this is our 100th year in Milton. Uh, awesome. Mr. Blanco, the, the first Mr. Blanco, we still have a couple of those around. The first Mr. Blanco came from London where he began being a glass blower at the age of nine. Uh, wanted to make glass using natural gas, not coal, and English glass houses were still dependent on coal. He came to America. He first went to Indiana, opened a glass company there. Uh, and he opened in 1893. To historians, 1893 is known as the Panic of 1893. <clears throat> that pretty loosely translates into not a good year to start a business. Uh, that failed. 
He went back to England. He came again and tried again in Pennsylvania. That failed. He went back to England. He came again to Clarksburg, West Virginia. That was a success. And then he was told about cheap land and some great prices on gas and that the railroad was offering land along the railroad in Milton. So wow. in uh, 1921, he moved from Clarksburg to Milton, West Virginia. Wow, that's an incredible that's story. Long, that's a long view. Yeah, that's 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 really super cool. And, and I think about, you know, um, just one of the questions that pops into my brain right there is, why natural gas compared to coal? What's the difference? Is it the um, temperature thing or what? Coal has all the, the fumes and, and the things that gets me in trouble with saying any of this in West Virginia sometimes. <laughs> it has all of those off gases and things that even if the smoke from the coal gets into where the glass is, it colors and changes the glass. Gotcha. So the cleaner the burning fuel source, the more pure and the, and the more um, true the color of your glass will be. Yeah. Well, so Dean, how did you get started in the glass business? Talk a little bit about your, your journey. Uh, I wonder how many thousands of times I've had to laugh, <laughs> smile, and tell this one. Um, I grew up in rural West Virginia. Uh, in my part of the state, there is little or no coal. Yeah, where I mean, is this at? Where was where, uh, Ritchie, Ritchie County. Oh, yeah, big, of course. Big town of Cairo. Yeah. Um, or as people not from my part of the world say, Cairo, um, <laughs> near, near North Bend State Park. In my community, there were two small glass factories. In my county, there were well over a dozen glass factories over time. Mm. So everybody I know was not a coal miner. When we came to West Virginia history, and it was about coal history. It, it wasn't my story. It wasn't our story. So I started off kind of being curious about what our story really was. And then as a child, we picked up pop bottles. This is a, I'll make this as short as I can, but it's no, this really is good. This is good stuff. We, we picked up pop bottles. And they were worth, worth three cents. Now you're probably not old enough to remember that. I like being. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I do. I, I do. Uh, I do. Yeah. I like using that line a lot. They I came in like eight packs with a little cardboard carrier. Uh, yes, they did. Yeah. When you took them back to the store to recycle them, to refill them, you got three cents per bottle. As a child, we got a small allowance, but you had to save your allowance toward a bicycle or a baseball glove. Or, it was teaching us to be frugal, but sure. that little bit of money when my mother went to the grocery was our ch uh, childhood mad money. We could buy comic books, candy bars, three cents a piece, doesn't add up real fast, but a comic book then was 15 cents. So it was reasonable. One time we took it in, there was a pop bottle. They said, we don't want this, it's too old. Okay. Huh. My father said he had a friend who was collecting bottles. This would have been in the 1960s and my father sh shared that bottle with him, and the man offered my dad $15 in the 60s. What? So wow. my little pre-entrepreneurial eyes <laughs> realized that there were three-cent pop bottles and $15 pop bottles, and I was done with the three-cent ones. I wanted to go after the $15 pop bottles. Smart. Which, well, they weren't <laughs> easy to find, but that led uh, all the men in my family, because it was a men's hobby in the 60s to collect bottles. Basically, you went out in the country someplace and scratched around in the leaves. Um, that, that's how I got started. One bottle, then five bottles, then 50 bottles. and Wow. Super cool. So it's been a lifelong passion, really, the, the whole um, idea of glass. 50 years plus now. Yes, sir. Well, Dean, you know, 
I think about West Virginia. First of all, I think about Blanco, and I mentioned that it's an iconic West Virginia company, and it certainly is. And I think just that little history that you gave there is just, you know, just touching on some of the uniqueness of this business. West Virginia has long been known for glass, all right? I mean, I'm sitting here in Morgantown, Star City, West Virginia. We had uh, you know, uh, Davis and Lynch Glass, Seneca Glass, Morgantown Glass Company. There's literally how, how many glass companies have there been in West Virginia? 473. Wow, incredible. How many here in, in the Morgantown area? Well, you, I, when I count them, I count them oddly by like Saberton, which had four, yeah. Star yeah. City had several, uh, 17, I believe, without looking. Oh gosh. Um, and Morgantown proper, 20 some. Wow. So, what, 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 I mean, I guess the question I have is because I don't know the history of this, but why, what makes West Virginia such a special place for glass? Is it, you know, some kind of this, um, you know, we're known for glass. How, do, how is that? That's, that's really easy. There are a number of critical factors that establish where glass was made. Yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh becomes the leading glass center in America as expansion goes westward because you don't have to come over the mountains. You put it on a boat in the Ohio River, and if the water is high enough before the dams, yeah. down the Ohio, up the Mississippi, up the Missouri, you can reach a major part of expanding Americas in the early and mid 1800s. Anytime you do something, I've always drawn parallels between glass factories and churches, and that mm. both last a long time, they're very successful, have a lot of impact on lives, but both are also seem to be um, subject to this. I think I can do this better than the present people are doing. So I will go down the road and open up my own. Um, walk through my home county and you can see the Baptist church is built like every 20 years when <laughs> someone who's the son of the previous year. And same with glass factories. So we moved down the river from Pittsburgh first to Wellsburg, where the first glass factory in West Virginia was in uh, 1815. And then it just kind of expands out. The reason though, Transportation, originally the river, the mm. Ohio River. Yeah. Much smoother ride than, than a wagon being pulled across terrible roads. Yeah. Fuel, originally coal, but um, by the middle of the 1800s, we were experimenting with natural gas. And by 1890, the natural gas is easily found in large parts of West Virginia. Mm. Natural resources, which include sand, and we have big sand mines, or some in Montgomery County that came down Decker's Creek. Uh, there's still several over on Berkeley Springs. There are major silica mining spots, and that's the kind of sand used for glass. And the final component is probably the most important. That's know-how. Yeah. If you and I were to go out and still open a glass company right now, Jim, I think we'd probably fail. Because although I may know a lot about glass or marketing, or I'd, I'm not the guy who can go out there and take the sand and batch it, which is to mix it and make glass. That's something that's almost a guarded secret. Yeah. It's, it's more than even an art and science combined. There's a secret to it. It's, it's, uh, for a very long time, glass was considered to be alchemy, that it was something magical about you. Yeah. If you can make a solid glowing object out of sand, you must be doing something <laughs> mystical. mystical. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yes. Well, yes. it's, it's super cool. And I'm, I'm a big fan. Uh, you know, I, I, my wife and I own several pieces of Blanco glass, the, the coveted, uh, you know, uh, iconic, if you will, uh, 
uh, water bottles. I, we love those. Have, yeah, exactly. Right there. Perfect. I've got the cobalt blue, I believe you call it. And then the, uh, the green, oh, we got a couple of bowls and so forth. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, this is not rehearsed. I just happen to have bunches of them around. That, that's great. I could only imagine. That's super cool. So I'm a big fan. Uh, talk a little bit about Blanco. It, talk, I always ask people, tell us your 32nd pitch, if you could, for Blanco. In other words, what is it you tell people that you do? We make the most colorful glass in America for certain, and one of the most colorful glasses in the world. We make the glass from scratch ourselves, blow it by hand, no mechanization, and create these vibrant, colorful works of, I'm going to go with art. I try to avoid that word, but art. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and they're, and they're functional too. I mean, the bud vases and everything, I mean, you can, I mean, you could definitely use these, these products. They're, they're just gorgeous and, and they're, they, they look amazing sitting on a shelf or on a, on a table. Uh, they're just uh, conversation pieces, right? So what would you say is the thing, Dean, that you're most excited about for Blanco Glass Company right now? Expansion. Uh, glass company and Blinko went through several decades of reasonably rough times as we moved to other materials. Many of the things that were once made in glass became made in plastic and, and other, just other materials, whatever it may be. That, that took out a lot of practical glass. We, we chose to and still continue to use most of our uh, expendable income for gadgets. If you have extra money, you probably won't buy the new iPhone or a bigger television when it wraps around two walls instead of just covering one wall, maybe. And that's where we put our money. In the 60s and 70s, during the height of the collecting phenomenon, a lot of people bought glass. They collected glass. Yeah. So we stepped away from that, which caused some problems in the industry. Uh, so between changing materials, changing in our lifestyles, it really hurt. We are one of four left in West Virginia now, one of them being the one you mentioned right near you, Davis Lynch, yeah. in Star City. Only four glass factories left out of 470-some. That's kind of scary. Yeah. yeah, it is scary. Change, change. Yeah. So I, I think about what you're saying. You know, um, the first time that I can remember being drawn to glass is uh, my family. When I was a young boy, we used to vacation in up at Lake Erie. Uh, in Pennsylvania, because I, I was born in just outside of uh, Pen, uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You mentioned Pittsburgh. I was uh, right on the Ohio River there in a little town called Hopewell, right in the middle of the steel industry back in the 70s. And we would go uh, walking along the beach at Lake Erie there, and you know, I would find all this, what they call sea glass. Of course, it was in a natural lake, but you know, you've been to Lake Erie, or maybe you haven't, but it's like the ocean and big waves and it tumbles that glass. And, and that sea glass was just so beautiful to hold. It was all like um, buffed out and muted, you know, and if you put it in water, it would kind of get that opacity back. And I was like, man, this is so pretty. But listening to you talk about the, the surge of plastic into our environment, you know, who needs that? We got beautiful glass that could be containers and stuff like that. That's renewable. If you break it, you could just, it becomes sand again, or basically, right? I mean, over time, it starts to sand and becomes sand. One, one of my favorite lines to share with people, we have an on-site visitor center, which has a museum and a gift shop and all that. And people, I hear them telling their children, be careful, don't break it, don't touch it. And I almost always, even though I probably shouldn't, I stick my nose into the family business and say, it's okay. Because if you break it, 
will sweep it up, and in a few days it will be back here on the shelf again <laughs> as a different piece of glass. It's it's not like it's the end of that object. It's just going to be recreated and come right back. Ultimately, the very best recycling would be the piece broken on our site because we're going to make it back into something post haste. Wow, that's that's incredible. So, is there a uh, is there a uh a demand for recycled glass these days? I mean, how, what's that look like? Uh, that's tough. That's very tough. Yeah. Well, we recycle our own glass, like the things off the floor. We sweep everything. We, yeah. we waste nothing. If something breaks, you just put it right back into raw materials. percent of each melt is recycled. So 85% would be the sand and the dry chemicals to make new glass, but 15% would be recycled. But because we don't know the formulas that other people use for their glass, we can't mix it with our glass. Chances are it might be fine. Chances are you might buy something, get home, and it would blow up. And the problem would be the incompatibility of the different glass formulations. Yeah. Recycling That's is very touchy. But most of the bottles in the country and the world are very strictly regulated to make them as strong as they possibly can. They're very compatible. So for containers, for bottles, jars, and stuff, it's much more likely to recycle it than it is for any kind of art glass or architectural glass. Very interesting. Dean, you, you mentioned uh, the colorful nature of your glass. That's one of the things you're noted for, the art, artistry, but the colors. How, I mean, how do you get these vibrant colors? You don't have to give trade secrets, but generally, how do you get the, the coloring? Any trade secret there ever was <laughs> in about 1902, I think. Um, uh, uh, my, my, my smart answer, for which my mother, sorry, mom, would shake me would be, I would tell you to go to Heinz Chapel in Pittsburgh, sit in the chapel if you can get in when there's not a wedding, and look at those 30-some foot tall stained glass windows. Yeah. Every piece of that glass was made in Milton. All the windows wow. in the Heinz Chapel are from here. And that wow. goes back to a connection between the family that made the glass, the Hunt family, and the Blinko family. But the glass was made originally by Blinko for its color. That was our, we weren't making utensils or practical or art glass for making flat glass to be used in stained glass windows. Predominantly wow. churches, but other things as well. Victorian homes had a lot of it. Sure. So, but if you're wanting it to be that big, bold, bright statement, if you want people when they walk into your cathedral church chapel to feel all struck, it's gotta be pretty daggone impressive. You know, yeah. it can't be just blue. It's gotta be like bluest blue that God ever saw. <laughs> It's in his house. He, he gets a really bright blue. So our formulations all date back to making them in very intense, highly saturated colors. But at some point, actually, the Great Depression, someone at Blinko said, hey, not building a lot of churches right now. We could make some vessels and some practical items, pitchers, and vases and such. Uh, and that right, right about 1929, 1930 is when we branched out and started making consumer objects versus uh, we, we still make a flat glass for windows for architects, all kinds of buildings all over the world. But the, we started with that concern about concentration for color. Each color has a different formula. Each color has a very small amount of chemicals in it that determines what it will be. So cobalt glass, not surprisingly, the, the dark blue you've referenced um, has cobalt in it. Wow. So it really, it's not just called cobalt blue. There's actually cobalt in it. That's super cool. That's true, I love certainly. that. That's awesome. Uh, I, I, I love that. That's su super, super amazing, each, actually. Each color we have has a formula. Each yeah. formula has a 
basically a recipe card. There are about 1,300 cards to make 1,300 collars, give, give or take. Wow. Wow. Dean, where do, you, you talked about how the business has changed over the over the 120 so years. Where where are your customers today? What geographic region do you serve? Yes. Every everywhere. We ship glass all over the world, particularly architectural glass. We have some pretty large customers in New Zealand, which is about as far away as I can tell you. Yeah. Uh, a lot to Europe. Um, we certainly ship to collectors and to people as for people as gifts. They have family in America who want to send them something American made. But most of our glass goes to the continental 48 states. Um, about 1,400 Blinko representatives selling it in different places around the country. And the biggest concentration is probably in Texas of all places. Big really? Once was a country city, so I guess it's just big by nature, but we have more dealers in Texas than anywhere else. Have you ever, um, this is kind of a random thing, but I think about, when I think about glass and art, I think of this guy named, I'm going to probably butcher his name, Dale Chahuli. You did great. Yes, we, Dale is, I don't know. It's hard to say glass in America. Without saying. Without saying Chihuly, yes. I've been to his museum in um, Seattle. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but it's an amazing place. Mm -hmm. And just the, and some of the work that he's done in glass. And, and I think, um, you know, cause he's, he's known kind of for that vibrant color as well. And so that's kind of neat to, to kind of understand a little bit now, just from my own personal perspective, it kind of gives me a little bit more respect for what you do and, and, and thinking about how these, how these vessels are made and, and how the, you know, the history of the company has kind of evolved. How many employees do you have there at Blanco? Well, as of today, 52. Wow. That's a big it company. Was- one yeah. we once had 200 and some so okay our peak heydays were probably the late 50s through the mid 70s as far as number of employees um but again the, the market for glass has just shifted so much it's not it's not the absolutely critical object that you had to have now so it's changed yeah. a little yep Dean, what's since you've been there at Blanco at the helm, uh, running the company day to day, what's been your best business moment? Uh, that's such an easy answer, but I yeah, let's see. I, I want to run away from it so much. I, okay, <laughs> uh, two things. Two things I would like to talk about just briefly. One, one is the internet. We historically had this network of people who represented Blanco Glass all over the country. Had reps in Los Angeles and Dallas and New York and around the country. Some of those were the grandchildren of people who had originally been the reps under like three generation of Blinko family members years ago. So long, long, long uh, inherited positions. And then came the internet. And we know what that's done to brick and mortar stores. We have taken under our wing uh, some. One of them is 28, one of them is 35-year-old who understand that. One of our best moments has been our ability to go from wholesale, you know, two boxes to Des Moines Moines, uh, versus direct-to-consumers. You you put out a post one day with a small clip of film of us making a piece, and by the next morning, we've sold hundreds all over the country. Wow. That that's one incredible. step, that's, that's the biggest business step. Yeah. 
Now, the other part of the story, we realize that our demographic, our, our certain economic, certain age, certain all that. So we wanted to reach out to some other people and long discussion led us to a word that I did not know. I did not know what a cryptid was. Is that a word you know? Yeah, encrypted, See, yeah. No, no, not, not encrypted, acrypted. Like, oh, acrypted. No, I have no idea what that is. I feel better because I, I thought <laughs> um, Bigfoot is encrypted. Uh, the Mothman is encrypted. Ah, maybe, yes. I, I would I would bravely say maybe fictional monsters. Yes. People who love and follow these things probably would never accept the word fictional. So we said, hey, there's a big bunch of folks who love these things. Evidence from the fact that one of the biggest folk festivals in West Virginia is probably the Mothman now. Yeah. Not the Black Walnut anymore. Sorry, folks. <laughs> but think about what that means as a change. We've gone from celebrating forest and food to monsters. But anyway, so we hired a young designer from Morgantown, up your way, yes. uh, Elizabeth Pavlovic, young lady who's a graphic artist. She designed for us a bottle that was the Flatwoods Monster. We made it for two weeks, two weeks. We made it for two weeks only. Order it now, we'll make one for you and we're not gonna make any more. Uh, it was $150, $180. It was not an inexpensive item at all. We sold over 800 of them wow. all over the country, most not in West Virginia. Wow. So one of the great business moments for us has been realizing the. <laughs> That there is a payoff for not following our traditional model. You know, we can make the most beautiful vase in the world. Oh, yeah. But uh, who would ever have thought that a decanter with a stopper, bright red head and orange eyes would be our single best-selling item last year? 801 item is a lot, particularly at that price point. That's incredible. And it garnered you a, uh, a pretty significant national story in the Washington Post, if I recall. That's exactly Just right. Just last month, I believe, right? May. Yes, yeah. sir. Absolutely, that's, yes. That's incredible. Uh, Dean, I want to take a second just to mention the sponsors that we have for Positively West Virginia, and they include the State Journal, WVNews.com, and Interaction Media. The support we receive from these West Virginia companies allow us to highlight the incredible things happening throughout the great state of West Virginia. Our guest today is an awesome conversation with Dean Six. He's the GM and Vice President of Blanco Glass Company in Milton, West Virginia, West Virginia. Dina, I want to get right back into it. What's the vision for Blanco Glass long-term? It's a complicated one, and it's changed a lot in the last few years. A significant part of that would be this playing with and playing into uh, social media and using that to tell our story. It used to be we'd try to get into a Hallmark store in the mall in your hometown. Yeah. We still are very blessed to have some of those, particularly in West Virginia and, and our region, but not like we used to. Yeah. So, so this whole business of, of getting directly to people on the internet, and we can tell this elaborate story where we show you how we make it. Instead of just sending the piece to you, you know, before you even think about buying it, it's like, oh, it takes six men, you know, 20 minutes to make one of these things. and It's hot and you see them perspiring. We, we can make some hellaciously wonderful stories uh, visual stories and history stories and living history. So that is probably our, again, going back to that, playing into where the internet is taking the world, I think, yeah. willing or not. 
So that's a whole different market. We could, we could not have sold Flatwoods Monsters were it not for the internet and the ability <laughs> for people to tell their Facebook friends about it. Uh, so we have to factor that in. We are committed to teaching some young folks to be glass blowers. Uh, if you indulge me in this one, historically yeah. in Morgantown, if you worked at Seneca Glass, which was one of the big ones, and you needed a glass worker, you maybe just cross over the tracks, and that was Morgantown Glass, and you'd offer them 10 cents more an hour, and two or three of their best glass workers would jump ship and come to your side of the tracks. Yeah, yeah. Easy to get glass blowers. You can't do that today. Yeah. There's no one to go, go steal workers from. They have to be trained almost in-house, and it takes years to become a master glass blower. If we get someone from the art of glass movement, the Chihuly School, they're used to taking an entire day to make two 10-foot blades of grass. <laughs> Pretty cool, but we don't have a market for 10-foot blades of grass, nor can we market them at a rate, you know, making two a day with, with teams of six men. Exactly. So it's, it's a place where we're having to train our own, um, which has always been a part of it, but there was always that need you just go down the road and to the next glass factory and buy away a couple of their guys, knowing that they're going to come back in a year and get you again. But it was yeah. a, a very fluid industry. So how do, how do you find these workers? I mean, you mentioned training them in-house, but are there, is there like an apprenticeship program? Are they teaching this kind of stuff at trade schools or? Uh, constant conversation. The state of West Virginia has been really good to us, wanting to talk to us about trade schools. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, to establish a trade school program in glass, once they graduate, if it's not Davis Lynch, which is like us, 30 or 40 employees, yeah. um, where, where are you going to go to get work? It's, it's not like being a carpenter where you can so go anywhere. Very, yeah. limited, very yeah. limited demand, uh, yeah. training in-house mostly. I had a, uh, a fellow on um, on this podcast a couple of months ago who was a blacksmith, and that, it kind of he has a thriving business. Uh, the majority of his clientele are coming from the Washington D.C. area, but it was kind of interesting. He's here in Preston County, in here uh, just near you know nearby Morgantown. Mm -hmm. it just, I thought it was fascinating that you know he it took him you know almost a decade to to really hone his craft and and really uh, be able to put his wares out there. So it sounds like. It's a, it's kind of a same deal to, to be a, a, a hand glass blower. You've got to know your stuff and you got to be committed to it. And you're not going to, you know, you're not going to have a career change 15 years later or something, right? You're going to, you're, you're basically committed to this lifestyle. And I, I think it's super cool. And uh, I, I, I honor those workers, uh, those artisans who are, who are doing this craft and keeping this alive in West Virginia. I, I really do. I think it's, it's awesome. And, you know, I pulled up a picture as you were talking there of the Flatwoods uh, monster, and it is a beautiful piece. And uh, I want to give uh, kudos to, to Liz. What, how, how do you pronounce her last name? Pavlovic. Liz Pavlovic. And it's a beautiful design and you guys executed it flawlessly. It looks amazing. And to think there are 800 and I don't know, 70 of those monsters literally sitting all over the country and someone's <laughs> been, you know, I mean, you guys have got to have a whole, uh, a whole, um, uh, game plan for cryptids. I, I would imagine now. Right. I mean, <laughs> Next is Bigfoot. <laughs> all right. That's awesome. The ultimate. 
<laughs> followed by the Mothman. Yes. And then we get into arguments after that. What comes point, next? Po point Pleasant, right? Yes, point well, pleasant. you know, there's oh. lots of there's lots of talk of uh, aliens these days uh, in the federal government. So maybe we can uh, maybe we can maybe that'll be the next thing. So that's super cool, man. And I I really love the uh, the passion and, uh, it, and not this. I don't want to sound trite and say that you guys have kind of reinvented yourselves with the internet and some of these new things, but I, it's, it's being adaptable. You know, I, I see that you're, you're doing something you're like, we could continue to do this. I mean, and it, it seems like that's been part of the culture. Hey, we're, they're not building a lot of churches and cathedrals right now. Let's do some vases and vases and plates and, you know, bud vases and whatnot. Is is it is it vase or vase? I I, I always call it a vase. So let, let me. You're a West Virginia guy, and that's the way we do it. <laughs> I, I learned this from a lovely lady who was with the Philadelphia Museum of Art years ago. She was, oh guys, she was one of those classy women, gray hair, never a, a hair out of place. You know, she went to finishing school, so she sat with her feet crossed at the ankles. She was just, she was a high class dame. <laughs> and I, so she took me aside one day and said, Dean, we must talk about this. And I'm thinking, what have I done now? You know, poor little West Virginia boy up here running around the big city. And she says to me, you need to understand that a vase is something you buy at the dime store. And you put flowers in it, out, cut out of your garden. A vase is something that's beautiful, costs a lot of money, and you put a very lovely flower arrangement in it, probably from the florist. And a vase is so nice and so expensive, you would never put flowers in it, but it looks like the other two. It's just not meant to hold anything. It's too rare to be. You know, That's awesome. She had vase, vase, and vase. That's great. God bless her. That, that was. I love it. I, I coming to the front with knowing which to use, and I kind of, kind of, kind of apply it. <laughs> That's super cool. I would like to ask you a question with regard to entrepreneurship because you've been, well, first of all, you, I want to talk a little bit about the oldest five and dime store. Tell us about that. When I was still at WVU as a student, a, a hometown friend of mine and I bought an old country store uh, in a town called Petroleum, West Virginia. Uh, we were playing off of a merging big park that we were building in Wood County and we were gonna be at the back door of the park and people would come and buy, you know, all their t-shirts and Coke from us. And um, anyway, that trip, that got run over by a train. That's a story into itself. Wow. I took, I took my half of the money from that and bought the, the dime store in my, our hometown, Harrisville, West Virginia. Yeah. It's Cairo a while ago, but yeah. they're eight miles apart. Ritchie County still. Yep. Uh, family that owned it had ran through two generations. The third generation had left the state and he wasn't, the son wasn't going to leave his good job in, uh, I think, Mississippi or Alabama to come back to West Virginia and run a dime store. It just wasn't the right thing. My brother and I bought it because uh, it was so important in our little town. To where, at the time we bought it, 35 years, 34 years ago, I guess, every little woman in town went there once a, a month with a little list of all of the cards she needed, you know, birthdays, anniversaries, and she would stand <laughs> at the card case. You know, and cards were 15 cents. But if had it not been there, where would she go? You know, some of these little ladies had never learned to drive. Their husband had driven them. The husbands had passed. Anyway, so it's just a really important part of a small town. So we bought, in 1983, Burdine's Five and Dime. Um, 
first thing we did was unmodernize it because uh, Mr. Burdine had tried to compete with the dollar stores, which were just coming into small towns then. Yeah. And so he was seeing them as his competition. And, I, and so he tried to modernize, you know, fluorescent lights and all that. We undid all that. We took the fluorescent lights out. We, we did, undid a lot of things. And we've been in business 35 years, 34 years since then, trying to be just a dime store. Yeah. It, it's, it's the only place I've ever been where folks will come in and spend 20 or 30 minutes shopping, spend four or $5 maybe. And when they get ready to leave, they will say, and thank you very much for letting us shop. I don't know about you, but the last time I felt any compulsion to thank someone for letting me shop in a big box store hmm. a long time ago. Yeah, so it's a entirely cool. different kind of experience. It's a real small hometown experience. That's super cool. Yeah. Well, uh, well do you have a, a website for it or anything like that? We could give you a little plug. Uh, a little plugs are wonderful. Uh, I think our, our website is down at present. We were redoing it. I'm of that generation. It's not technologically savvy. So it means yeah, I need a lot okay. of help. That's okay. But, um, Tell us, tell us the name of it again. We'll make sure okay. we get that in the Berdines, show notes. B-E-R-D-I-N-E-S, five, the number five, yeah. ampersand, the and sign, dime. And that's what originally was called, Burdine's Five and Dime. Awesome. That's that's super cool. We'll make sure that gets in the show notes as well. And uh, our, our producer, Hampton Hill, uh, notified me that he has a picture ready to go up of the, uh, the Flatwoods Monster. So he's going to put that up on the screen right now right. And, uh, and make sure that we have an opportunity to, to showcase that beautiful piece. And then uh, we'll also make sure we have links to the website and folks can uh, check that out as well. Dean, I guess you know, you've been an entrepreneur, you've been around for, for a while, you you understand the glass business, what would be a piece of advice you would give to young uh, business people who are thinking about opening a, a business, uh, somebody who's got an entrepreneurial mind here in West Virginia, what's one piece of advice you would give to them? I've opened 27 businesses in my lifetime. Wow. Um, wow. So I have a long track record but the fact that I don't own 27 businesses now tells you that I don't have a great track record, just long. Uh, <laughs> things like having your store run over by a Baltimore and Ohio train didn't help. Uh, I marked one of them off the list quickly. Um, I, I, I have a good answer to that, and I didn't know it before you asked me. I think my answer is follow your passion. Because mm -hmm. if, if you do something, I love glass. It's been a big part of my life. Um, I was with a co-founder of a glass museum in Western West Virginia, which is very popular today. Yeah. Uh, seeing lots of people from all over the world. But it's, glass is my passion. So it's easy for me to be excited. It's easy for me to relate to people and to get them excited about it. Uh, I feel the same way about the little stores in my hometown because I can stand there and tell stories like the ladies come in to buy their gift cards. You can pass along so much of your community, which is important to me but find your passion. Yeah. You could be the best Dagwon miniature golf course in the East Coast if you were passionate about that. Um, and if you're not, you're probably not going to make it. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's easier to, to find fulfillment in your work yes. as well. And uh, I, I, that definitely comes through just in the short time that I've gotten to know you here today. And I really appreciate that that passion that you have for glass and and keeping this this uh, iconic business moving forward, especially in the day and age where 
um, you know, you've been able to adapt and take advantage of the internet and take advantage of cool uh, things like the, you know, the Flatwoods Monster. Yeah, the whole, uh, the whole, the whole movement there. And I think that's super cool. And and I'm I'm just really happy for you and and the, all the folks that you employ there at at Blanco. What's one thing you do every day that you think contributes to your success? That, the last question was easy, the one about passion. This one's a little harder. Um, the, the Blinko family still owns the company and has 128 years. And they talk about it being their other family. I know that it really sounds cliche, but I'm constantly reminded that we have to take care of our employees. Our greatest asset are our employees. Now, that's not an attitude everybody has. Mm. So I try every day. I don't make it every day. I try to walk through the entire facility and uh, check in on everybody, see how they're doing. If, if I want to, if I want to act like, if we want to run the company, like if if the Blinko family wants to say that we're a family, then, then you got to do it. You've got to really. How are you today? And you know, I heard your mom was in the hospital last week. There's this, and of fifty some employees, we can do that. Yeah, GM can't do that probably. Yeah. But it works for us. I used to call that leadership by walking around, you know, and just being being present and and being um, being uh, with your with your people. And I think that's that's a great piece of advice. And really appreciate you sharing that. What's one book you'd recommend for aspiring business entrepreneurs? Ooh. See, see, I thought about this one in advance because I was forewarned that I should have a, a good, ready answer. Um, there are a lot of a lot of good ones. I there's there's one about Kaizen, an approach to structuring business, and friends of mine have insisted that I read it, and I was pretty impressed. It's kind of the philosophy that uh, the management philosophy behind Amazon. So obviously, it works for someone. Yeah. Um, I don't have. I, I didn't have a good answer before we came on. I still don't. Okay, not not a, not a problem, uh, not a problem at all. Dean, we've covered a lot in this interview in just a short time, and I've really enjoyed our conversation. Is there anything else you think our listeners should know about uh, the Blanco story or your story personally? I think the Blanco story is a really easy one, that it's a, a family who for several generations was really invested in their workplace yeah. and their employees. Today, the owners, the family still owns it. They're they're distant, but they've inherited from their fathers, grandfathers, and great grandfathers the belief that it's it's a unit that it's and it's to be taken care of. Uh, our charge to me in running the company is number one, take care of our employees. It's not make profit. Number one, and that's uh, and then the profit takes care of itself somewhat if we can get that first one under control. We got happy employees. We have loyal employees. We have hardworking employees. And it sounds kind of cliche again. I think that's a terribly important part of who we are. Yeah, that's 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 absolutely absolutely cool that you have that kind of a faith and uh, yes. you know, philosophy. I want to um, also recommend this um, because uh, I, I asked you about the books, and I'm going to suggest Mid-Century Modern Glass in America by Dean Six. I, I heard it's a, a just a page turner. <laughs> it's pretty rare, Jim, that I'm at a loss for words. I refuse to praise my own work. 
Well, Thanks. it's just cool. I mean, you've written several books on glass, and I'm gonna, we're going to put links to them on our resources page uh, of Positively West Virginia, and, and uh, p- folks can buy that right on Amazon. So I uh, I want to give you a shout out because I, I I love your passion and I love your expertise and knowledge. I'd heard your heard about you before, and uh, it's just been really super cool just getting to know you a little bit here. In closing, Dean, how can our listeners learn learn more about Blanco and perhaps even get in contact with you? Oh, I love that one. <clears throat> because we're 100 years in Milton right now, the State Museum in Charleston is putting up an exhibit as I speak uh, awesome. to commemorate our 100 years in West Virginia. So if you happen to be in Charleston or near the State Museum this summer, you can buzz by and see an exhibit about Blanco's 100 years. That's colorful, bright, and easy. Um, there are a number of books about the West Virginia glass industry. I have my hand in some, and there are a number of others that are wonderful. And, and I think you may remember this. There used to be a little brochure that told you, visit the glass and pottery ma- manufacturers of West Virginia. A little yeah. roadmap. Yeah. No, there's almost no one left to do that to. Yeah. But we're still here. We see school buses full of children, uh, church buses full of seniors, while there still is a blank and I hope there is for another 100 years. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Come, me too. come, come now. Don't wait. Come yeah. see Glassmate. Come watch that hot liquid mass be shaped into a beautiful object that for a few moments is orange and you don't know what it is. And all of a sudden it becomes cobalt blue and takes on the shape. Come see the alchemy. We're Incredible. still here and you can watch it free. Incredible. I love it. Dean, it's been a real honor to have you on the podcast today. I think what you're doing is really, really special. And I just want to keep, encourage you to keep up the, the great work. You've got a passion. You've got a lot of knowledge and just a great heart. So thank you very much. Privilege. It's a privilege. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, folks, that's a wrap on another episode of Positively West Virginia. Positively West Virginia is brought to you by the State Journal, WVNews.com, and Interaction Media as we continue on our journey to help share positive stories of companies and people doing amazing things all across the Mountain State, just like my new friend, Dean Six of Blanco Glass Company. Our hope is that we in some way equipped you and inspired you with this business story. If you or someone you know would be a great guest on the show, drop us a line on our website, PositivelyWV.com. And of course, we appreciate your comments, encouragement, and reviews. And you can also um, share these short stories if you would like on your social media channels. And we appreciate you helping us spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly show, The Small Business Mastermind, every Friday from 11 a.m. to noon, where we bring a panel of business experts from around the state each week to help small business leaders win. Positively West Virginia is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can learn more about our mission of advancing small business and entrepreneurship in West Virginia at PositivelyWV.com. On behalf of our entire Positively West Virginia team, including our producer today, Mr. Hampton Hill. Until next time, I'm your host, Jim Matuga. Stay positive, West Virginia. 